Before we begin this week's episode, I'd like to introduce you to another UK-based paranormal podcast that you might enjoy this spooky season, Haunted UK. I picked up the phone and said hello. At first there was just a crackling, static noise. Then a voice, which sounded like part of the static, said, I'm not leaving. Then the line went dead. Chills went all over me, but I was determined to find out if this had a rational explanation. I went back to the other office and waited outside for Darren to arrive with the keys. A few minutes later, we were unlocking the door and inside, only to find out that the phone wasn't even plugged into the wall. This is the Haunted UK Podcast, and I'm the show's host, Steve. And that was an extract from Working with the Unknown a terrifying tale about a listener's experience in her nighttime workplace. One of the many true cases we regale and present to you on the show. So, if you enjoy a creepy tale or two, stories of real-life ghost encounters, doppelgangers, time slips, lesser-known UK hauntings, then join us every Friday for an episode where we frequently cross the threshold of the unknown. I'm Rob Kirkup. Welcome to How Haunted, a weekly paranormal podcast where each episode we explore the horrible history and terrifying ghost stories of one of the scariest places on the planet. In episode 59, we head to a delightful village with idyllic cottages at every turn and timber-framed cosy pubs with roaring open fires. A village that in stark contrast may be one of the most haunted in all of England. And we will look at no fewer than 28 reported hauntings as together, we will take to these ancient streets and go in search of those things that go bump in the night. This week, join me as we head to Gloucestershire and ask just how haunted is Pressbury Village. Listener discretion is advised as each episode of How Haunted will feature gruesome tales, horrific happenings, bloody murder and ghosts. So many ghosts. Listen on if you dare. Situated in the shadow of the 1,080 foot or 330 metres high Cleave Hill, Presbury is a village in Gloucestershire that has a long and rich history, with occupation here dating back to the Iron Age, with the Beaker people arriving here around 4,000 years ago. The Romans were here too, but the first documented mention of Presbury was in 899 AD, when Prios Dabirig appeared in a charter. It means the priest's fortified place, and it referred to a manor belonging to the Bishop of Hereford. This likely stood on the site of the current 13th century moated manor house to the northwest of the village as it stands today. The original settlement was located at what is now Shaw Green. In the Doomsday Book of 1086, Presbury is mentioned as Prestebury, spelt P R E S T E 
B-E-R-I-E. It was part of the property of the Church of Hereford and was described as having 18 villagers, five smallholders, a priest, a riding man and 11 slaves. At some point in the late 12th century, the spelling changed slightly to much closer to what it is today when it was changed to P-R-E-S-B-E-R-Y. In 1249, the Bishop of Hereford was granted permission to hold a weekly market along with a three-day annual fair at the beginning of August. The village became eclipsed by Cheltenham following the end of the medieval period. The market started to decline in the 15th century. This was largely due to a fire in the area of the market. It was resurrected during the 16th century, albeit as a much smaller market, but it had all but lapsed completely by the start of the 18th century. Presbury was also home to a number of industries, including agriculture and quarrying. The village was also a popular destination for hunting and fishing. It was even thriving by growing tobacco. Most of Gloucestershire had started to grow tobacco after the House of Lords passed law in 1598 that English and Irish farmers may be permitted to grow tobacco for profit. It proved so popular that in 1619 an act banning tobacco grown in England was passed to protect the trade in Virginia in America, which was under British rule. Despite many attempts to halt tobacco grown, Presbury continued to grow tobacco between 1619 and 1664. High levels of cultivation in Virginia in 1680 finally put a stop to tobacco grown in Gloucestershire. In 1642 the English Civil War began and Presbury was staunchly parliamentarian. In 1643 King Charles I held Plymouth, Bristol and Tewkesbury and most of the north. He needed to march on London but before doing this he was adamant that Gloucester City must fall having so vehemently refused to surrender. The city was besieged by the King's forces from the 10th of August 1643, and a little under a month later, Parliament raised an army of 15,000 men under the Earl of Essex to aid the city's cause before it was defeated. Following a skirmish near Stow-on-the-Wold, the 15,000 men finally reached Cleve Hill on September the 4th. The vanguard of the army arrived in Presbury, hungry, exhausted and soaked to their skin. Unable to get their guns down Cleve Hill in darkness, they were forced to spend the night on the hill in a severe storm. The following day, they advanced through Southam and Presbury to Cheltenham, where there was still resistance. However, the firing of the guns from Cleve had not only encouraged the people of Gloucester, but had caused King Charles I to order the siege to be abandoned. In the middle of the 18th century, a mineral spring with medicinal properties was discovered in the parish, and by 1751, Lord Craven, on whose estate the spring had been discovered, opened a spa, providing bathing and lodging. However, it did not last past the end of the century. Having acquired a bad reputation, it was pulled down. By the 19th century, Cheltenham had developed into a fashionable spa resort. Today, Presbury is a quiet and affluent village. It is home to a whopping 67 listed buildings, including the 13th century moated manor house. The centre of the modern settlement of Presbury has remained almost unchanged in form since the later medieval period. 26 acres of the old historic part of Presbury have been designated as a conservation area. To the north of the conservation area lies the remains of a moated site, which is one of six scheduled ancient monuments located within the borough of Cheltenham. Although the majority of the buildings date to the 17th and 18th centuries, a few earlier structures have survived from the 14th, 15th and 16th centuries. The village is home to Prestbury Park, the Cheltenham Racecourse, which holds the Gold Cup race each March.
For many hundreds of years this was a bishop's park, and was well stocked with deer, hare, pheasants and partridge. From around 1200 to 1650, there were constant battles between would-be poachers of Presbury Village and the bishop's gamekeepers. By the 17th century the park was neglected. The trees were gradually cut away, turning the park area into arable farming land. In 1902, Cheltenham Racecourse Company bought Presbury Park and held its first two-day national hunt festival. The population of the village is around 7,000 people. And it's often described as the most haunted village in the UK, a claim made by many others, including famously Pluckley Village that we looked at in episode 22. On this dark autumn night, as we get ever closer to Halloween, allow me to guide you by the light of a pumpkin lantern on a ghost walk through Presbury Village. Our route will go clockwise through the village, and our final stop will introduce you to unquestionably Presbury Village's most famous ghostly resident. We start on Tatchley Lane, where we find Walnut Cottage. This delightfully named cottage is the horn of a friendly old phantom who calls himself Moses. An often recounted tale tells of a tea party at the cottage where one of the guests, a Mr Sharp, returned to the dining room having left his pipe in there. He was stunned to see a figure, which he described as see-through, standing next to the fireplace. The phantom spoke to him and said, My name is Moses. I likes to look in here sometimes. Mr Sharp, understandably, left the room in a hurry. He told his wife and their host what he'd seen. The three of them tentatively made their way back into the dining room, but old Moses had disappeared. On the Burgage, we are now at the Grade 2 listed Presbury House Hotel. It dates from around 1700, and it was built by the Cappell family. The building, which was a family home at the time, was altered during the 18th century and extended in the early to mid-19th century. Presbury House Hotel is the haunt of Lizzie. It's been claimed that she worked here at some point in the 19th century and sadly died at a young age. She remains here as she took such great pride in her work and she wants to ensure that the employees working here today continue to do a good job and take the same pride in their work that she once did. It's been written that there's one room in particular upstairs that staff won't go into alone and Lizzie is blamed for the fear that they feel. This seems unusual as Lizzie appears to be such a benign spirit. This has led to some speculating that there's a second, more malevolent ghost here, lurking in the darkness of that particular room, and causing the staff to be terrified when in its presence. Horses are also heard in and around the building. This is attributed to the building next to the hotel, which is now the Presbury Scouts headquarters, as once being a stable. A fascinating story around Presbury House is found at the Mystical Times blog at mysticaltimesblog.com. Michelle, who runs the blog, has kindly let me include it in our ghost walk. It reads, The first paranormal experience that I'm writing about may have been a time slip. This happened in the 1930s at Presbury House on a street called The Burgage. It was then a private home, now a hotel, to the Cappell family, who had lived on that land from 1607 to 1964. Major C. Cappell had put an advert in a local publication as he had a pony that he wanted to sell. There was a family visit in the area from Scotland and they wanted to view the pony to buy for their 10-year-old daughter. The family of three, a father, mother and daughter, went to Presbury House and when they arrived, the Major showed them the pony. After the initial excitement of seeing the pony, the 10-year-old daughter got bored of the adults talking, so decided to walk around the rather large grounds. She found herself near the stables, which were at the edge of the property, 
Her interest from seeing the stabled horses was directed towards a group of people who were dressed in Jane Austen clothing, and who were partaking and drinking from fine china and chattering lots. The girl stayed and watched them a little while, but then ran away to find her mother. She found her mother, who was still conversing with the Major in the garden, and told her about the people who were, in her words, wearing fancy dress and wanted her mother to see them and maybe even join in, with what seemed like a fun event. It took a little while to convince her mother to come with her, and as they approached the stables, the group of people had become more loud and rowdy. The mother could see and hear nothing, and told her daughter off for making up fairy tales to gain attention. She took her daughter by the hand, and marched her off to the garden, where her father and the major still were. No more was said about what the girl had witnessed. It must have had a deeply profound effect on this young girl, as 30 years later she returned to Presbury, intent on finding out the history of that land, and why she saw what she saw. And this is what she found. On that piece of land once stood some buildings, which were all part of the Grotto. It was a tea room for the very rich and elite of society. It was built in 1781 by John Dark. John Dark had good standing in the elite society, but was to die just two years after it was built. There were several different buildings on the land, ranging from a Chinese temple erected on a raised terrace, a circular rustic type of building adorned with shells, fossils and stones from neighbouring hills, to a stone tower, which was said to have had amazing views if you climbed the staircase to the top. There were two octagonal rooms at the top where people could dine. The circular building had Gothic-style windows, which were ornamented with stained glass. The floor was tessellated, and the walls had convex mirrors. All of this stood in some very manicured gardens, which John Dark had personally designed. These would be referred to as pleasure gardens. It has been rumoured that John Dark became exhausted after accomplishing the grotto, which led to his premature death. The grotto was then run by several different proprietors. The tea drinking was said to have taken place in and around the Chinese temple. There were also splendid dinners served in the grounds as well. It had some famous visitors. King George III visited there in 1788. The visit was documented in his diary when he was touring Cheltenham and Gloucestershire, in which he wrote, I do not love reasoning with women, and was glad to escape to my horse. Presbury Grotto is a romantic object. There would be entertainment also. Opera singers and musicians famous in their lifetime would perform to the patrons. The then Duke of Gloucester would visit, as well as Edward Jenner, the discoverer of vaccinations. He said this of his visit. I have attempted nothing like pleasure since I came here, once accepted, which was to drink tea in Presbury, a village about two miles distant, whether I went on a double horse. Our party drank tea in a little garden they call the Grotto. In later years there would also be overnight accommodation, offered so clientele could come from afar and stay the night, whilst being very well looked after by the proprietor. The estate also had stables, several summer houses, skittle grows and many other outbuildings. The grotto would also advertise in the local newspaper. There's an example of one of these advertisements from the Cheltenham Chronicle from August 1809 over on the Instagram now at How Haunted Pod. So this young girl had witnessed one of the many gatherings that were once part of the society's elite in the 1700s and 1800s. She'd got the period of clothing correct for that time period, when the grotto was a very swanky place and in full swing. But what became of the grotto's tea gardens? Surely this little girl saw the buildings on the grounds and her imagination took over. Actually, the buildings have been demolished sadly. 
All that's left now of the grotto and its pleasure gardens are a pillar and a door. Only these two things remain now, as by 1859, the land and the buildings were... Forbidden history, grisly ghosts, monstrous cryptids, and harrowing folklore dominate Japan's history and culture. Mysterious Japan is a bi-weekly podcast presenting these spine-chilling horror stories, urban legends, and unbelievable histories in a campfire story format. Many of these tales have never been presented in English before. Our journey takes place where dark history and supernatural folklore collide. Mysterious Japan is produced, written, and translated by recognized Japan expert Dr. Heath Avey. Season 1 relates the unbelievable legends and ghost stories from the so-called suicide forest. Listen to Mysterious Japan for free on Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Learn more at our website at themysteriousjapan.com and be transported by unbelievable stories where the lines between reality and folklore become blurred in the shadowlands of Japan. Once again, that's themysteriousjapan.com. Purchased by the then owners of Presbury House. There is a story as to why it was purchased, and here it is. In 1819, the grotto became the Grotto Inn. It was named after the tea rooms. It appears it was still bringing in elite clientele, as there were adverts for opera singers and other type of more cultured entertainment. It was in 1856 when a local brewery took up residence in the grounds of the Grotto Inn that things became more unrefined. The patrons were often very noisy, drunk and fights would break out. It also seemed to attract bad luck. One of the proprietor's wives had a stillborn baby there. Others suffered ill health and there were also deaths that took place in the accommodation quarters from people staying at the inn. It changed hands with several different landlords over the years, so when it went up for auction, the owners of Presbury House, whose property and land was next to the inn, and who had suffered from the noise and commotion over the years, bought it. With the changes in life events that the grotto had seen, it's no wonder that the scene the ten-year-old girl came upon was from happier times. It does make me wonder if, when she returned to the scene with her mother, it became very rowdy. The possible time slip or ghosts showed her how the grotto ended up before being pulled down in the late 19th century. Huge thanks to Michelle for letting me include her article, and for more tales of ghostly goings on in Gloucestershire, please check out her blog at mysticaltimesblog.com and her Mystical Times blog podcast. Episode 8 is particularly appropriate considering our ghost walk. It's entitled Ghostly Gloucestershire. The links are in this podcast episode description. Before we leave the burgage, let's keep our eyes and ears peeled for the occasionally sighted knight, complete with a full suit of armour, who was seen and heard clanking slowly along the street. Staying on the burgage, we now turn our attention to the delightful Grade 1 listed Sundial Cottage, situated at number 37. Originally dating from the 16th century, a clue being given by a sundial setting at the left gable end, which is dated 1579, but it was largely rebuilt at the end of the 18th and into the early 19th century. The ghost story here dates from World War II, and to the best of my knowledge hasn't been reported in more recent years, although with it being a private home, there's no real way of knowing what spooky happenings may be occurring behind those walls. During the Second World War, a mother and a child from London were placed in the cottage, having moved from the capital to escape the Blitz. Her son complained to their mother about having to share his bedroom with the little girl who plays music. Their mother grew tired of hearing this from her son, night after night, so she swapped bedrooms with him. In her first night in the room, she got to sleep with little trouble, but in the dead of night she was awoken from her slumber by an unusual sound. 
she woke up and saw a young girl aged perhaps 9 or 10, and she was playing a spinet, which is a type of small harpsichord. The woman didn't feel afraid or threatened, and she grew to accept sharing their home with the ghostly young girl and her music. The next phantom is encountered along Shore Green Lane and down to the Burgage, and it is the first of two spectral riders on horseback sent to Horn Presbury. This ghost is said to be seen wearing blood-soaked clothing, in a style dating back to the 15th century. This has led to the suggestion that he may have been a messenger racing to the camp of Edward IV on the eve of the Battle of Tewkesbury, during the War of the Roses. The battle occurred on the 4th of May, 1471. The area here would have been full with Lancastrian scouts watching out for Yorkists, and it's probable an archer killed him as he journeyed along this particular route. This theory is strengthened by claims that in 1901, workmen in Shaw Green Lane discovered a skeleton, with a single arrow between its ribcage. Some people have heard the horse as opposed to seeing it, so loud that they've jumped out of the way for fear of being trampled. The unmistakable sound of a horse galloping at breakneck speed getting louder, ever closer, then passing them, but never appearing. Some reports, interestingly, claim that the spirit energy may be fading away, as the reports of the full spectral apparition of the rider seem to be older accounts, and today it's much more common to see a strange glowing shape moving along the route at speed, before suddenly disappearing. The second fandom horse rider is seen and heard on Mill Street. This spectre was supposedly also a messenger riding through the village, but during a different conflict, the English Civil War, during which Gloucester was besieged. Presbury was a parliamentarian stronghold, and the soldiers would string fine wire or rope across the lanes at night to catch any royalists trying to race in or out of the village under the cover of darkness. On one such occasion they caught a royalist messenger who rode his horse along Mill Street, his horse fell as its front leg struck the wire, and the rider was propelled forward landing hard on the ground. Things were to get worse for the man, as parliamentary soldiers were waiting nearby, and they were very excited to get their hands on the enemy. In between beatings from the soldiers, he saw his horse get to its feet and run off into the darkness. After they had finished having some fun with him, they dealt him one final blow. He pleaded for his life, but he was pinned down and with one swing of a sword his head was taken clean off. Today the headless horseman is seen making his fateful journey, always coming to a halt and disappearing at the very spot he was flung from his horse back in 1643. More often he is heard rather than seen, the pounding hoofs beaten at pace before grinding to a halt, accompanied by the pain whinny of a horse and the yells of the rider being thrown to the ground, before being beaten and beheaded. The horseman isn't the only spook on Mill Street. There's something that appears only on foggy mornings that can't be seen by human eyes, but it stops dogs in their tracks. They cry and they whimper. They resist, unwilling to continue on their walk. Only returning to normal once their owner turns back and heads away from whatever it is that has them so scared. People have heard the sound of marching feet here. Hundreds of heavy boots marching in unison. Locals have looked from their windows expecting to see people marching past, but there's no one there. However, the unmistakable sound of marching continues, often going right past their home. An old lady known as Mrs Priest, although it's unclear where this name came from or who Mrs Priest may have been in life, is said to be a white misty form that floats over the fields around Mill Street before vanishing, always disappearing at the same spot. Arguably, 
The most mysterious spectre encountered here is a man seen with light shining from the palms of his hands. He is only ever seen from the waist up, and his face is missing. He has no features whatsoever. Understandably, witnesses to this particular entity have not hung around. Also on Mill Street is the Plough Inn, one of Presbury's three pubs, and the next stop on our ghost walk. The 17th century Plough Inn is a delightful spot to while away a few hours, bathing in the sunshine in the beer garden while enjoying a pint of traditional cask ale. Served from a small hatch, straight from the cask, or their ciders, which saw them win the camera's cider pub of the year in both 2014 and 2015. But it's the spirits that we're more interested here, and in particular, those of the paranormal variety. And the good news is that there's more than one ghost that appears to call the Plough Inn home. A man is seen sitting at the bar. He is described as wearing a tatty old tweed jacket, a flat cap, and people who've seen him have said that they weren't afraid and they didn't feel threatened. He appears to be aware of those around him, some have said that he smiled at them before simply dissolving away. Bizarrely horses have been heard clip-clopping within the building, although no horse has ever been seen. Whether this is somehow connected to the headless horseman who was thrown from his horse and killed on the street that the plough is situated on is unknown. A bizarre occurrence here is that herdsmen have reported difficulty getting their sheep, horses and dogs to pass in front of the building. They simply refuse. Again, whether this is connected to the phenomena where dogs appear to see something that frightens them on foggy mornings is unclear. A poltergeist has been reported at the plough, bottles and glasses seen lifting up from the bar before being forcibly thrown against the wall, smashing to smithereens. On one occasion a former landlady came downstairs one morning and found that all of the pub furniture had vanished. She then found it all stacked up neatly on top of each other in one room. She'd been the only person in the building all night. We now find ourselves in Southam Road, and it's here in the 1980s that a school teacher was driving along this very road on her way home, when she looked to the side and saw what appeared to be a funeral procession passing through a field. There were black horses moving slowly, followed by a group of mourners all dressed in black. She was perplexed by what she had seen, and she had to be nowhere in a hurry, so the next chance she got she turned her car around, but when she returned they had completely disappeared. Just off the High Street, opposite the First World War Memorial which contains the name of 41 Presbury men who gave their lives fighting for the nation, is Idsel House, a Grade 2 listed 6 bedroom, 5 bathroom detached house that is currently on the market for a cool £2.2 million. What potential new owners will need to bear in mind is that the house comes with its very own frightening occupant. Back in 1989, a workman was down in the cellar when he was suddenly given the fright of his life, he was pushed hard in the back. So hard, that he ended up on his hands and knees. He turned around, not sure who'd given him the shove, but he was all alone. He fled Idsel House, and refused to return to complete his work. At the top of the house is another shadowy creature that a former resident named The Entity. They were fearful of going to the upper floor alone, for fear they would come face to face with It. On the village high street we find the King's Arms, a grade 2 listed 16th century Tudor public house. It's a delightful spot to have a drink or tuck into the fine dining experience on offer here. The King's Arms own website describes the pub as follows. Quirky and quaint are the two words that spring to mind when you first step inside this 500 year old inn for the first time. 
with ingle nook fireplaces, wooden beams galore, and gorgeous dining nooks everywhere you turn. The King's Arms has character in spades. One of the most famous people to ever call Presbury home was Fred Archer. Fred was born in Cheltenham on the 11th of January 1857, and by the age of two, he was living in the King's Arms, as his father was the landlord. At the age of 10, Fred moved to Newmarket, where he trained to become a jockey, going on to become the greatest flat race jockey of the Victorian era. Fred was a huge success. He was earning £10,000 a year at his peak. That's the equivalent of £1.2 million today. He rode 2,748 winners from 8,084 starts. In doing so, he broke records for the number of wins in a season, 246. And he also broke the record for holding the title of champion jockey from 1873 to 1886. He may have gone on to be champion jockey for many more years, but sadly at the age of just 29, Fred killed himself on the 8th of November 1886. He was tall for a jockey at 5 foot 10, which meant that getting his weight down required him to diet far more than other jockeys. This meant that his diet consisted of no solid food whatsoever, and he'd often not eat for days at a time in order to race. On one occasion this finally caught up with him as he developed a typhoid-like fever. He was hospitalised but recovered. On Monday the 8th of November 1886, he was at his residence, Falmouth House in Newmarket. He was under medical supervision. His sister, Mrs Coleman, came to visit him. He asked her to send the nurse away, and when his sister was looking out of a window, he jumped out of bed. She heard him say, are they coming? And he produced a revolver. As she grabbed at him, he put the gun in his mouth, and he pulled the trigger. He died bleeding in her arms. The bullet having passed out the back of his neck. The doctor was on the scene very quickly, and pronounced him dead. An inquest concluded that the deceased committed suicide whilst in a state of unsound mind. Archer had a difficult, short life. His constant dieting. His wife had died two years earlier during childbirth. And at the time of his death, he was £30,000 in debt. That's the equivalent of £3.6 million a day, as he had a gambling addiction. Today, Fred Archer's ghost is seen in Newmarket, but he may also have returned to Presbury in death. In the 1970s, on the day of the annual Gold Cup at Cheltenham Racecourse, four women were stood outside the King's Arms when they saw a man on the opposite side of the road waiting across. He was wearing the clothing of a jockey, complete with a peaked cap. He began to cross the road, but just disappeared as he neared the middle, much to the astonishment of the onlooking ladies. The ghostly jockey was then seen crossing the road again, round the corner. In the near 50 years since, people have asked, could this have been Fred? Situated at number 6 on the High Street is the old post office, which is now Presbury Post Office and News Agents. There have long been rumours of a playful spirit who remains here. It is never seen, but it makes its presence known by moving objects around. Often things will disappear completely, before reappearing days, sometimes weeks later, back where they were originally. Back in the 1960s a family lived here, and they had two young children, a boy and a girl. The children weren't afraid of the ghost, they were more curious than anything, and they would test the ghost by putting items on the shelf to see where they would be the next morning when they got out of bed. At number 28 on the high street is Felicity Hathire. At one time it used to be a butcher shop. During its time as a butcher shop, 
the owner would regularly be known to complain to customers or fellow drinkers in the King's Arms just down the road about the ghost he was sharing his shop with. The pesky phantom would move stock around, as well as his butchering tools, often mere seconds after he put something down it would be gone. Not only that, but upstairs he had witnessed a shadowy figure moving around swiftly, and after dark he would often hear a whistling and a deep sighing. Staying on the high street, a woman has been heard singing a cheery tune outside in the dead of night. Just off the high street is Anne Goodrich Close. The houses here were built in 1720, and little old lady wearing clothes from a bygone era has been seen, most often at dusk, peering into the windows along this street, much to the horror of those who live there. Arguably the most terrifying, most dangerous presence we may encounter on our ghost walk of Presbury Village is the Strangler of Cleave Corner. Unsuspecting passers-by after dark have felt ghostly hands around their throat tightening. Thankfully it stops as suddenly as it begins. An unsubstantiated claim is that on this spot a young bride was strangled to death on her wedding night. A spectral shepherd has been seen herding his ghostly sheep along the lanes near to the church and a white lady is seen wandering slowly around the area. She seems to glide rather than walk and she's only visible from the knees up. As we near the end of our ghost walk, I'd like to introduce you to the village of Presbury's best-known phantom, the Black Abbot. This mysterious hooded monk is only seen at three times of the year, Christmas, Easter and All Saints Day, which falls on the 1st of November, so perhaps anyone listening local to Presbury may be fortunate enough to encounter him in a couple of short weeks. He always follows the same route, which leads some to believe that his presence is a recording from a bygone age, rather than him being aware of his modern-day surroundings. This may be why there have been reports of panic drivers having to swerve their cars to avoid hitting a monk, walking trance-like across the road. They sound their horn, but he never reacts. He starts at the Church of St Mary. He used to be seen inside, but the church has been exorcised in recent years, so instead he's seen in the churchyard amongst the gravestones. He then walks the grounds of the Grade 2 listed priory next door, sections of this building dating back to the 14th century. He then passes through a wall, which likely didn't exist in his day, and then he heads to a patch of land on the high street, which, it's claimed, may have once been a section of a cemetery. He then goes to Deep Street, where he enters a home called Reform Cottage. He heads upstairs and he's heard banging around, and then all is silent. He's gone. His identity is unknown, although there's a suggestion that due to Presbury once be in the manner of the Bishop of Hereford, who granted tax and rights to Lanthony Priory and Monmouthshire in Wales, around 70 miles away, that the Black Abbot may have been one of the Welsh monks who came here prior to King Henry VIII, enacting his policy of Catholic suppression with the dissolution of the monasteries between 1536 and 1541. A man called Derek Stafford was in the churchyard on the 22nd of November 1990 after dark, He had his camera and he was photographing the floodlit gravestones. He saw nothing out of the ordinary at the time, but when he had his film developed, one of the photos chilled him to the bone. In it appears a dark, hooded figure. This photograph, which you can see for yourself over on the Instagram at HowHauntedPod, has become synonymous with Haunted Presbury. For many, they believe that this may be the origin of the Black Abbot, and that all of the stories that have evolved over the 33 years since began with this one photograph. However, people do claim to have seen this mysterious monk, 
One such first-hand account appears on britainsbestguides.org, dating from 2017, in which a tour guide called Mike James is interviewed on the subject of Presbury's ghosts, and says, and I quote, Following one of the ghost tours recently, a man we'll call Steve approached us, and told us of an experience he'd had with a friend of his, who we'll call Paul. They'd been walking along the footpath from the churchyard with Paul's young granddaughter, and turned left towards the main road, and as Paul happened to glance to the right at the entrance to the grounds of the old priory house, he turned as white as a sheet. Paul didn't say anything but continued walking and chatting with the young girl, but when Steve got home his wife asked him what on earth had happened. Paul's wife had called her, saying that he was in a terrible, inconsolable state. When Paul eventually calmed down, he said that as they had passed the entrance to the house, he'd seen a motionless, hooded figure facing them, standing at the gateway only a few feet away, and dressed in what looked like black monk's robes. The figure had sent chills along Paul's spine, but he kept quiet for fear of frightening his granddaughter. The link in the article for Mike's ghost to our website no longer works, and the reason for that is that in 2019, the Reverend Nick Bromfield banned all ghost walks from entering the church grounds. The story made national news, with one such report being featured on the Gloucester Live website on the 10th of October 2019, the headline of which reads, The Bible says to leave this stuff alone. Vicar speaks out on cancelling church ghost tours. It reads, A ghost tour operator claims to have been forced out of a haunted village by the parish church vicar, who says the events have no place in his churchyard. Cotswold ghost tour owner Mike James had run a popular nighttime tour around Presbury near Cheltenham for four years, purportedly the most haunted place in the UK. But his guided walks along footpaths in St Mary's Church graveyard resulted in complaints from the Reverend Nick Bromfield, who, Mr James claims, has made scrupulous claims over disturbance and safeguarding. It came to a head this week when the vicar left a voice message with Mr James saying he wants to join one of the upcoming tours. Mr James yesterday announced the ceasing of all tours in the village. He said, It has felt like a personal vendetta to disrupt my business. Reverend Bromfield, who strongly refutes any vendetta, said, There are parts in the Bible that say leave this stuff alone. This is a Christian church. Frankly, we don't want people's stories about ghosts, spectres and poltergeists. He added, Mike is free to run his business how he likes and I wish him well, but frankly ghost tours have no part in a place of Christian worship and they don't belong in a Christian churchyard. Mr James said he started offering tours in Presbury after being approached by the Women's Institute. The village is known for its regularly seen and most famous apparition, the Black Abbot, as well as unusual paranormal disturbances. The hour and a half long tours start at the King's Arms and go around the village before finishing close to St Mary's Church. Problems started, however, when in August last year, Reverend Bromfield asked to speak to Mr James over concerns that the tours were disrupting people visiting graves in the churchyard. He also claimed to have found a hen party on a tour on his driveway. A meeting was held and Mr James agreed that although tours will continue to go through the churchyard, talks would not be given there. On Saturday, however, Reverend Bromfield contacted Mr James again with safeguarding concerns over an under-16s tour being offered. He also said he didn't want images of the church being featured on the company website. A voicemail followed in which Mr James claimed he said he was going to go on one of the tours next week, with a veiled threat of disrupting it. Mr James added, I simply did not have the time to deal with this man's claims or respond to him. It was easier for me to leave. He won't admit it, but I think he wanted us to leave. 
Mr. James said ceasing of the tour would also give him time to concentrate on more profitable sides to his business. In response, Reverend Bromfield said that he left a message with Mr. James, after not hearing back from him, on his concerns over safeguarding. He said, Without a reply, I have said if Mr. James comes again, we will have to be on site supervising and make sure our concerns are addressed fully and correctly. I hear that they have now decided to withdraw from the village. He added, We have tolerated this activity for quite a long time, but we feel that enough is enough. Many here have felt angry about this. Reverend Bromfield was previously a vicar in the Forest of Dean, where in 2009 he spoke out against dark forces after finding a sheep's head on a pole outside of one of his churches, and three years before that he told makers of a film called The Outlaw that they could not shoot in the church because of its graphic violence and a storyline based on revenge. Presbury Parish Councillor John Payne said, I had no objection to the ghost tour, providing they don't offend local organisations. He added, I know Nick is a stunningly religious man. Before we end, Reform Cottage on Deep Street is definitely worth a mention. It is the final stop on the Black Abbots route, but it appears that it may also be home to something else not of this realm, something dark and something dangerous. The Grade 2 listed detached cottage was built in the 17th century, and it's a delightful chocolate box house. It's truly idyllic. But what you can't see from just looking at it is that the garden at the front of the cottage is, some claim, a burial ground with monks buried right here beneath the earth. Others have written that it's not monks that are buried there. Rather, it's where corpses of troops loyal to King Charles I were unceremoniously dumped during the Siege of Gloucester. Either way, there appears to be an unhappy, angry spirit lurking within the cottage. Whether it's connected to the Black Abbot or not is unclear. The cottage was once owned by a Mr and Mrs Cousins, who, although not buying into the existence of ghosts, heard footsteps within their home, and bumping and banging upstairs. This may have been the work of the Black Abbot. When Mr Cousins passed away, his widow sold the cottage to a couple called the Hileys. The Hileys were delighted with their dream home, but this dream quickly became a nightmare following a decision to make some significant alterations to the property. Mr Hiley and some workmen were in the upstairs of Reform Cottage, discussing the work that was to be undertaken, when a pot plant suspended from a beam started to move all on its own. The men stood and watched it, unable to comprehend what they were seeing. It moved slowly at first, but then got faster and faster and faster, more violent and more forceful with every swing, before it was thrown across the room, smashing at the feet of the men. Suffice to say the workmen got out of there in a hurry, refusing to accept the job for fear of encountering that angry spirit again. You can follow How Haunted on Twitter at, at @howhauntedpod, or over on the Instagram at howhauntedpod, where you will see photos galore relating to our ghost walk of Presbury Village. If you want to get in touch, you can do so by visiting the website at www.how-haunted.com or you can email me at rob at how-haunted.com. If you'd like to support the show, you could sign up to one of three Patreon tiers. They start at as little as £1. You can get early ad-free access to episodes and a monthly bonus episode where I conduct a paranormal investigation, talking you through the history, the ghost stories, and what happened on the night itself. This is interspersed with audio from the ghost hunt. What's more, 
There is a free seven day trial to the three pound tier. So at Halloween, the best time of the year to listen to scary stories after dark, you could get access to the Halloween Patreon episode which is the Golden Fleece at York, as well as all of the other special episodes. These include the National Railway Museum, Dalhousie Castle Hotel, the York Dungeon, and Haggerston Castle Holiday Park. You can also get yourself some How Haunted merch including a mug and a t-shirt. Find out more at patreon.com forward slash howhauntedpod. If you'd like to support the show but you aren't a fan of Patreon, why not donate £2 at buymeacoffee.com forward slash howhauntedpod. All the information and links are in the podcast episode description. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review on your podcast provider of choice. It really does help other people to find How Haunted. Next time out, it's Halloween. And it's only right that we do something special to accompany the scariest time of the year. In what will be the biggest episode of How Haunted to date, we head to the East End of London and look at the grisly work of one of the most famous serial killers and the ghosts left in his wake. Join me next week for our big Halloween spooktacular, where together we will look for the ghosts of Jack the Ripper's Whitechapel. Thank you so much for accompanying me for our paranormal adventures once again. Stay safe, and join me next time, where we will once again ask the question, How Haunted? <laughs>